Holy God, call us to be your church and love our neighbors. Amen. In the spirit of Valentine's Day, I invite you to consider this crazy little thing called love. (laughs) I know, I know, after hearing the gospel reading, which doesn't exactly inspire joy, you're thinking, what's love got to do with it? But hopefully this will become clear. Let's start with this week. We are in part four of this sermon series, and Jesus is calling the church to value relationships with one another as if it were God's very self. Fred Rogers, the creator and star of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, is having a moment lately with this movie and documentaries showcasing his life's work of teaching and inspiring children. For you younger ones that are listening, he's the legacy behind Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, complete with a red sweater and trolley, always asking, would you be my neighbor, right? I read an article interviewing his photographer who captured him on and off set for more than a decade. The interviewer asked her, how would he have responded to the intolerance and hate that we see too much of in the world today? She said he would be heartbroken, but he would be working to make it better. He was always addressing the question, is your neighbor worth loving? And right now, she said, we are not facing that question. Is your neighbor worth loving is at the root of Jesus' sermon before us today. While this gospel reading seemed long to you, it is part of an even longer section radicalizing the greatest commandment. You're welcome. Uh, Which of them is the greatest? Someone will ask Jesus about the commandments. And he says, love the Lord your God. And the second is like it, love your neighbor. On these commandments hang all the law and the prophets. These things are not two separate activities, as if you could love God and not love your neighbor, as if you could love your neighbor and not see the face of God in them. Although we as church are perhaps the first sometimes to forget this truth. In reality, Jesus says they are all tied up together. They are inextricably bound together. And he spends quite a few verses going over that point to make it even more clear to us. Naming the commandment about a neighbor, you have heard it said, don't murder. And then giving in a real-life situational application to drive the point home. So you didn't murder anyone this week. Don't be so quick to congratulate yourself for keeping the law. Because aren't you still holding on to anger about something somebody did five years ago? Didn't you spread gossip about someone that trusted you? As we say, stabbing them in the back. Then you are not living the command to love your neighbor as you love God, are you? Without Jesus understanding his context here, reading these verses out loud is nothing short of dangerous. Because the church has used these lines of Jesus over the years to harm neighbors, not to love them. We have refused the Eucharist to those who were divorced We have shunned them from serving in active leadership roles. We have taught children that the body is the root of all evil and causes you to sin, and it's better to lose an arm than get angry. But that's not the design of the text. For crying out loud, Jesus breaks the first one when he in anger overturns the tables of the money changers and yells at them. Joseph marries a woman who is already pregnant at the outset of this gospel, And Peter swears he doesn't know Jesus by that fire. Nobody cut off any of their limbs that I'm aware of. And only Jesus went to the hell of fire, and that was for our sake. 
So while we are not a tradition that reads these words literally, we are a tradition that reads them seriously. Just take that whole section on adultery and divorce. They are actually beautiful words about loving your neighbor. Because in that time and place, a man could divorce his wife for burning bread, and she would be left destitute without home or income and labeled as damaged goods. Similarly, a man who raped another woman could go on with life, but the woman was labeled the offending party, eliminating her future on all levels. Jesus condemns this in what is basically the first Me Too movement. And it's so much more because it teaches us how loving your neighbor doesn't mean exercising power over, but power with. It doesn't mean seeing any other human being as a thing or an object, but as a child of God made in God's own image. Loving the neighbor means letting go of anger and seeking reconciliation. It means speaking the truth and not selling lies. It means honoring your word, let it be yes or no. Jesus is teaching the disciples, the church, what it means to live in community, to be the church together, to live and walk in love with one another. You know, the problem we have often when we start talking about love is our distorted picture of it. Love bites, as Deaf Leopard sings, right? Our human way of love is often broken, failed, objectified, abused, and exploited. It's all too often shaped by patriarchy and racism and a learned fear of our neighbors. Or love is like a magical place in our minds, a feeling, a fake ether in the air, a pie in the sky, everyone singing kumbaya kind of place. And when all the air goes out of our balloon, it's like, it must have been love, but it's over now. We have trouble grasping the kind of love that Jesus is talking about, the kind of love that Jesus lives and dies. One of the world's most influential preachers, Reverend Dr. Otis Moss III, puts it this way. Love is not codependence. Love is not manipulative. Love is not forced. Love is not accepting disrespect. Love is not being absorbed into somebody else. Love is not hiding your light. Love is not dimming your light. Love is not tolerance. Love is not using your power over others. What is love then? Well, he points to that old gospel song, Love Lifted Me. Or in the words of another song, your love keeps lifting me higher and higher. This love Jesus teaches is about lifting one another up. As we have heard over these weeks, it's about walking along the shore and pulling others out of the deepest waters of the sea. It's about going up that mountain with God to see who in the valley needs to be lifted up. It's about pouring out our salt and light, giving of ourselves so that others may eat and live and see hope in the darkness. This is important because when Jesus says things like your righteousness, or in that first reading when we hear keep my commandments, he doesn't mean memorizing a string of words and then adhering to an ideal standard above all else. Keep my commandments means your actions and your words demonstrate your great love for God through your love for your neighbors. Even the work between neighbors of reconciliation here takes place over precedence, over ritual obligation. It must come before you can bring your gift to the altar. 
It's that same message as last week. Your piety is not your self-appointed righteousness. Your piety is found in the giving away of love to your neighbors. And not the neighbors who only look like you or the neighbors who were only born in the same country you were. Not the neighbors who only agree with you, but every neighbor there ever was. That is who we are called to love with the love of Christ. And that love is real and grounded and humbling. It is internal as well as eternal. It is truth-telling and it is life-changing. And Jesus doesn't hide the fact that it is also hard, hard work, challenging work, difficult, and mostly unpopular work. But it is our call as the church just the same. You know, Trinity Lutheran Church in Manhattan knows this. They were witnessing firsthand the growing homeless crisis in their city, specifically the disturbing epidemic of youth homelessness, of which 40% are LGBTQ youth. They learned that transgender youth are 250% more likely to become homeless than other youth, while typical shelters remain unsafe for youth in general and are not equipped to meet the needs of transgender youth. Now, Trinity doesn't have a large building with excessive space. They don't have a big operating budget. They're situated in a struggling neighborhood, but they dared to ask the question with Fred Rogers, is my neighbor worth loving? They acknowledge the church's historic role in teaching many parents intolerance and condemnation of their own children, resulting in kicking them out of their homes and leading to this crisis. So they wanted to make amends and offer hope and show God's love in action. They purchased 10 rollaway cots and put them in their basement social hall for three weeks, working with a social services agency in the area. It went so well, and the love they received back from these young people was so transformative for the church that they voted to open a permanent shelter, utilizing volunteers from the congregation, hiring a social worker and a director to oversee it. That was in 2005. The transitional shelter has operated every night since then and was featured on NBC as the little shelter that could. They have a 90% success rate for placement in housing and employment. And the congregation didn't stop there, creating an interfaith task force that inspires other worshiping communities to open up their own shelters and playing an integral role in the city's recent youth homelessness task force. Even more than all of that, the residents of the shelter speak about how they never thought they would have a family again. And here, in the church basement, they found one. They found love in a hopeless place, as Rihanna sings it. Jesus teaches his disciples, people will look to you, the church, to see this love in action. Love that seeks reconciliation above all else and does not hold on to hate. Love that lifts up others' identities and values them as a child of God. Love that is not predatory but seeks justice and builds up relationships. Love that tells the truth and honors its word. Have you picked up on the love songs I'm putting in the sermon to drive my point home? Well, I have another one for you. 
The Black Eyed Peas re-released a song of theirs in 2016 in response to the tragedies and shootings that were overtaking the news, and they invited a long list of famous musicians to re-record it with them. It's called Where is the Love? Here's a few of the lyrics. People killin', people dying, children hurting, I hear them crying. Can you practice what you preach? Would you turn the other cheek? Father, 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 help us. Send some guidance from above, cause people got me questioning, where is the love? Every time I look up, I look down, no one's on a common ground. Where is the love? And if you never speak truth, then you never know how love sounds. And if you never know love, then you never know God. Wow, where is the love? You know, I mean no disrespect here, but people, if Will I Am can get it, we can get it. The church, Jesus says, is the place this love is lived out. We are the ones who just call each other to say, I love you, right? I'm praying for you. I'm here for you. And those calls should extend to the whole wide world. The church is the place that people look to because in truth, we are those who have been blessed by that love of God in Christ. We have heard it spoken from this pulpit every time we speak of Christ refusing to stop loving us today or any day, dying for us to have life, to have love, to have a neighbor ourselves called God Almighty. We have been blessed by this love every time we taste and see it being poured out for us at this table, a tangible sign that God so loved the world and God still loves the world and God has not given up on loving the world and never will. We have been blessed by this love every time we remember that we are immersed in its life-giving waters, just as Ariella will be today in this font. That we are claimed as a child of God, as God's neighbor worth loving, and then connected through those waters to every living thing that is God's neighbor such that it is our neighbor. We are blessed by this love every time we are sent out from this place, because not to leave out the country lovers among us, we go from here carrying this love with me from West Virginia down to Tennessee. We go living on love and buying on time because without it, nothing ain't worth a dime. We go knowing this is a love without end. Amen. I'm not done. Reverend Moss, right? It's like dangerous when you say amen. Reverend Moss that I mentioned before has a tradition of asking his congregation to speak key lines from the reading and the sermon as a way of practicing what you are preaching a way of witnessing to the good word before them today. I would like to end with this, a reminder that this whole sermon series, being called to be the church, means living what we are learning from Jesus in word and in deed. So I want you to turn to your neighbor, get near someone so you can speak a few words to them, find a neighbor, look at your neighbor, don't look at me, look at your neighbor, and repeat after me, neighbor... Oh neighbor, this may be hard to believe, but I am God's beloved neighbor. Okay, find another neighbor. Could be the same one. That's okay. Find somebody else. Oh, I like it. They're moving around. All right, look at them. Neighbor. Oh neighbor. We may not agree on everything. But I see you, I see you. 
as a neighbor, as a neighbor. Worth, loving. worth loving. Okay, now he usually does two, but I'm going to do three. And so let's talk to everyone in the room. So you can look up or just look around, okay? Church. Church. Dear, church. Dear church, now that we've found love, now that we found love. what are we going to do, are we gonna do? With, it. with it? Amen. Amen.